You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So notice good conscience. A clear conscience is so important. It's essential to your witness. All right, a clear conscience. There's nothing between you and God, nothing vertical, nothing horizontal with others. You're, you're clear. Remember when Paul said, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He said that in Acts 23, 1, and the high priest commanded somebody standing near him to slap him for saying that. In the midst of your trials, how do you find a renewed sense of hope? When you navigate the depths of your suffering, do you ever get out of your rut? In today's message, Pastor Jeff shares that within your pain lies an opportunity for hope to blossom. It's in these trials that you found hope, born out of endurance by way of God's grace. Regardless of the hardships you face, hope can rise from barren ground. Allow your suffering to become a catalyst for God's version of hope and experience a brighter tomorrow. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Question of Suffering. All right, we're going to finish 1 Peter chapter 3. It's really good. And I expect that I can uh, end in time. So suffering is a part of the Christian life. Now, isn't that a, a real statement of faith? That's not a very good confession, Jeff. But no, but it's true. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. So now last time we ended with verses 11 and 12 in, in chapter 3. And they instruct us how to enjoy life. How many of you want to enjoy life and see good days? Well, Peter tells us in chapter 3, he said, here's what you do. You keep your tongue from evil and deceit. In other words, quit lying. Don't lie. Keep your tongue from evil and from deceit. Uh, turn from evil and do good and seek peace. Seek peace. Chase after peace. Not discord, not trouble. Peace. Amen? Unity. He's writing his target audience I don't think he ever dreamed that we'd be reading 20 centuries later what he wrote. But his target audience is a very persecuted, under-the-gun church. Um, Nero was the emperor, crazy, insane, cruel, and he's persecuting the church everywhere, torturing, killing, threatening, dividing families, all of that. Now, so Peter speaks to it, and he's going to tell the people by the Spirit of God how to respond to suffering they experience within the context of his will. What God allows. Okay? So in verse 13, he starts out, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, he's again... When he mentions who's going to harm you, he's talking about people persecuting the church. So who's going to harm you if you're doing what is good? Now, he's giving a general principle. He's not saying if you walk with Christ, nobody's ever going to harm you. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he is saying. If you live a good and a godly life, people as a rule are not going to seek to harm you. If you're a good neighbor, a good friend, a good employee, a good person, if you're kind and nice, people don't tend to target you for their hate. Unless it's persecution. That's a whole different animal. 
is in persecution, you are being harmed because you believe, because you are a Christian. And we're seeing that more and more and more in the United States of America. I've been preaching in America for decades. I'm going to tell you, I've never seen anything like where America is right now toward Christians. The dial is being ratcheted up. It's getting hotter regarding persecution. In a way, that's probably a good thing. It's going to separate the real from the fake. Those that are just in it for whatever reason and those that are in it because they really love the Lord. But it's rising. It's rising. I read things every day. Persecution is rising. Um, Paul warned, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. That went over real big. Let's try that again. You see up there? Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we've got to ask ourselves, am I being persecuted? Anybody giving me a problem because I'm a follower of Christ? You know? Um, now next, Peter says, when we suffer, let it be for three things. The right reason, with the right reaction, and with the right resolve. If you suffer, if you suffer within the framework of God's will, if you suffer for the faith, um, I really believe we're going to need messages like this more and more in the days to come. You may need to go back in your notes a year, two years from now, and look at what we taught tonight. Because he's telling us how to handle it when we suffer for doing right, doing good, walking with the Lord. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, everybody say the right reason. Happy are ye, say the right reaction. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The right resolve. So when you suffer for doing good, let it be for the right reason, right reaction, and with the right resolve. There's a right way to handle suffering for a good thing. You're, you're suffering for you didn't do a thing wrong. Now, you got to remember, the man writing this, God is using to give us this word, was Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times after his arrest. He denied him. But he's been tra totally transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit touches your life, you will never be the same. You will never. If you say to me, I know Jesus, I got saved, I'm going to be able to look at your life and see clear evidence that's true, because if you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within. If he came to live within, there is no way you're the same. There is no way you're the same, right? Peter's been totally transformed. In the book of Acts, we find him going to sleep the night before they intended to execute him. He goes to sleep without a melatonin and without a Xanax, right? He went to sleep. He's sleeping the night before his execution, I call that having inner peace. Terror and dread that he had when he denied the Lord three times in front of a little damsel, a little young girl. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. 
And then blankety blank, I don't know him. But now, he knows one day he's going to be crucified because the Lord Jesus told him so. One day, Peter, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And they're going to do with you what you don't want done. And tradition tells us he was hung upside down on the cross because he said, I'm not good enough to be hung uh, right side up as my Lord was. Courage has replaced cowardice. What happened to him? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit turns you into another man, another woman. It totally, totally, utterly, he transforms. I'm a product of the Holy Spirit who came into my life because I turned to Christ. I wouldn't be up here without the Holy Spirit. I could never have pastored for 39 years. Give me a minute. Just give me a minute. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. Time flies when you're having fun. But I could never have done it ever. I'm a debtor to the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter continues with instructions on how to face suffering. He said, when you suffer in the will of God for doing right, sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready. Now, the first part's talking about your heart. Second part's talking about your mind. He said, first, when you suffer for Christ's sake, enthrone the Lord in your heart. Enthrone the Lord in your heart. He says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. That means you you set the Lord apart in your heart. You, You set your heart apart for him. You have sanctified him in your heart. He's numero uno. He is is your main, main thing. You you suffer fellowshipping with him in your heart. Why am I suffering? Because I love Jesus. But then be ready in your mind. Be ready to give a reason for why you believe what you believe. Now, here's where I'm living more and more and more. I'm, I'm answering people increasingly on um, why I believe what I believe, what the Bible says, why it's very reasonable to be a Christian, and why it's very reasonable to believe in God. And it's very unreasonable and irrational to believe in evolution or to believe that there is no God. No. To me, i got to crucify my brain if I go that direction. So he said, he said, be ready to give a defense. Have an answer. Well, here's why I believe in Jesus. These days, they'll pepper you with questions. You can't just say, well, because he changed my life. They say, well, Buddha changes people's lives. They'll say things like, you know, Hare Krishna changed people's lives. Uh, you know, um, different beliefs change people's lives. Why, why do you say yours is the one? Then you got to give an answer. You keep coming on Wednesday nights, I'll, I'll equip you with it. I will. That's why we're doing Wednesday nights. That's why we're going through whole books. Now, the first part of the verse is a quote from Isaiah, and it means we're to suffer with the Lord enthroned in our hearts. And we're to have a reasonable answer in our mind 
for those who question us. Because we may be asked to explain why we're willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Why are you willing to go through this? Why don't you just give it up and, and don't be so radical? Cool it, chill. Step back a little bit. Be ready to give a defense in meekness and in fear, not condescendingly, but in meekness and fear. Uh, Peter, was, as he was writing, as I already said, Christians at Rome facing horrible deaths. Many of them have suffered the loss of absolutely everything. Think tonight. If because of your profession of faith in Christ, they came and took your house. They came and took your job. A lot of Christians in America have suffered that already. They'd suffer the loss of everything. Okay? A lot of them. They've been tortured, martyred. Read about them in Revelation 6. There's this vast multitude of people under the throne room of God crying out, when are you going to avenge our deaths? We see these people, and interestingly, they've been beheaded. Only one religion does that to folks. They've been beheaded, but they're martyred. And there's this vast multitude of martyrs under the throne in Revelation 6. When are you going to avenge us? He said, wait a little bit longer till the rest of your brethren who are going to meet the same fate, meet that fate. But the day's coming, I'm going to avenge it. Even their loved ones had been made human torches in the gardens of Nero. Do you know that in some cases, all they had to do was offer a pinch of salt on some pagan altar as a sign of renouncing their faith. All they had to do, a little bit of salt, go ahead and just sprinkle it on that altar of a pagan god, and we know you renounced your faith. And they would not sprinkle the salt. And their refusal and their courage in the face of death took the pagan world by storm. The pagan world couldn't calculate it. Why are they dying for this man called Jesus? And you know what? Uh, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. We're standing on some really big shoulders. People who gave it all were willing to die, willing to be martyred. Their blood spilled for the name of Christ, but it fueled the church. And it was a testimony the Roman world could not deny. Now, Peter continues with advice on how to face suffering. Verse 16, having a good conscience. When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So notice good conscience. A clear conscience is so important. It's essential to your witness. All right, a clear conscience. There's nothing between you and God, nothing vertical, nothing horizontal with others. You're, you're clear. Remember when Paul said, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He said that in Acts 23.1, and the high priest commanded somebody standing near him to slap him for saying that. I love how real the Bible is. He said, God will slap you, you white wall hypocrite. That was Paul. 
He said, that's the high priest. He said, oh, I didn't know that was the high priest. I'm sorry. But he, he didn't like being slapped for something that wasn't wrong. He said, my conscience is clear. How? Through the blood of Christ. But it's so important in our warfare. It says, with a clear conscience, we wage a good warfare. You got to keep it clear every day. Because if your conscience isn't clear, you've got guilt. If you've got guilt, you have no power to testify. It will take your power to testify away. You will not be bold in the faith if there's guilt. So every day, I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, and it, that makes me every day repent. Forgive me my sins, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Lord's Prayer won't let me get 24 hours, more than 24 hours away from repentance. He taught us to pray that way because we got to have a clear conscience. No preacher can preach without a clear conscience. No Christian will witness without a clear conscience. And guess what? If your conscience is not clear, you won't pray. You won't pray good. No, because you, you feel guilty before God. How are you going to go before him with confidence? If, you, if your conscience isn't clear. So he said, having a good conscience, so that when they defame you as an evildoer, uh, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed because they got nothing on you. Your conscience is clear. Our persecutors have no weapon against us when we've got a clear conscience. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. I'm talking about living a sincere life in Christ. All the times the Apostle Paul was taken to court over and over again, all the way up to Caesar, yet he was always so bold, never shrunk in fear. Why? His conscience was clear. Verse 17, for it's better if it be the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, do you catch that? That sometimes the will of God allows us to suffer for the cause of Christ. Sometimes we will suffer for the cause of Christ within the framework and context of the will of God. Well, why would God let me go through that? I'm glad you asked. As Peter told us in chapter one, let me read it again. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though right now the going is rough. King James says you're, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations and testings. But right now you're going through some rough times down here. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it's strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. There's always a good return when we go through trials with the right reason, right reaction, and right resolve. Next, Peter turns and points to Jesus as an example of suffering. Peter says that first Jesus Suffering on the cross was redemptive. Everybody say redemptive. Why was he on the cross? It was redemptive. He points to his vicarious atonement. What's vicarious mean? In our place. Vicarious, he suffered in our place. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Here it is, the just him for the unjust us. 
that He might bring us to God. How would you come into contact with God? Jesus brought you. How are you, did you ever experience the love of God in your heart? Jesus escorted you into his presence. He was the bridge over your troubled water. Jesus brought you to God. So he's hanging on the cross, and his suffering eclipsed all other suffering. Nobody suffered like Jesus, but hanging on the cross, he did it in our place, vicariously, in our place, instead of us, in our stead. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Our Lord's life was marked by suffering. Peter points to his victorious attainment once he suffered, being put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. The vicarious atonement accomplished for us by Christ at Calvary's cross is the greatest reason for his sufferings. It's why he came. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For this purpose, I was manifested. Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What's the work of the devil, the biggest one? Death. He could have opted out at any time. He told us I could call on 12 legions of angels right now, and they would come and whisk me out of here, but he didn't. He had come into this world with the sole purpose of dying for our sins, the just him for the unjust us, that he might bring us to God. His atonement was a plan worked out in eternity past. God knew the human race would be plunged into sin and that a rescue operation would be necessary. So when Jesus was born, first Christmas morn, the rescue operation was afoot. And it involved an exchange. Christ would take our place and exchange. And we would take his place and exchange. All of our guilt and sin and suffering and shame would be transferred to him. And all of his holiness and righteousness and goodness would be transferred to us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh my, he would die so that we might live. And the ground zero of the exchange would be a cross on a skull-shaped hill named Golgotha. That's, that was ground zero for the divine exchange. So are you laden down with sin? Go to the cross. Because if you go to the cross, you'll experience the exchange. You say, forgive me my sins. He says, you got it, because I took them on me already on the cross. Forgive me. And he says, and while you're at it, let me give you my righteousness. <laughs> Divine exchange. And although he was put to death in the flesh, as, the Holy, as Peter says, he was quickened by the Spirit. Holy Spirit was active in every part of Jesus' life. You ever thought about it? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ministered to others the power of the Holy Spirit. His whole life was bookmarked and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
today's message from Pastor Jeff, he showed you the benefits of refusing to let personal pain bring you down. When you rise above the weight of your own pain, it allows you to blossom into the person you've always wanted to be. If you want to experience serenity from the constant nagging of the world, give your burdens to the Lord. As you navigate your own journey, let God's gift of grace be the key that helps you overcome your struggles. We'd love for you to have additional resources. Here's Diane with more. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that as weird as it sounds, you can find beauty in the ashes of life's tribulations. Even if you're staring at a house that burned down or a relative that passed, God wants to help you discover the blessings in your pain. Experience the serenity that unfolds when you find resilience and grace amidst adversity. Discover the beauty that can emerge from the pain of brokenness and hardship. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. And you can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of 1 Peter right here on Hardwired.